Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sayago, hey, it is our special month. And I know I've called it that before, but let me, I'll explain. And uh, I, look, if I sound sarcastic, it's because I am. And so let me, let me just explain it. Every November is declared or proclaimed, whatever you want to call it, by the sitting president as National Native American Heritage Month. Now, November also has um, the anniversary of the Canandaigua Treaty, which is on November 11th. That happens to fall on Americans Veterans Day. So we not only have this National Native American Heritage Month and our Treaty Day uh, in, in the month, it also gets shared by things like the American Thanksgiving and Black Friday, obviously Veterans Day and all this stuff. And and I always the reason I'm so sarcastic about it is because there is very, very little acknowledgement, uh, any kind of special acknowledgement during this month. You don't see any kind of programming change on the Sundance channel or any of the uh new streaming services not even on you know the NPR stations is there much of a way of any kind of uh acknowledgement i mean like like i said almost almost nothing and to the extent that it it does happen you know i i i'm troubled by the name because it's it's national native american heritage month so it's always this idea of looking backwards and we're still here and by looking backwards in much the same way that Black America, Black History Month is is celebrated. What it ends up being is more a function of America grabbing on to black in that case or native in our case uh, heroes that they can like still promote the the American way and American exceptionalism. So they don't really talk about the atrocities so much. I mean, and, and to the extent that they do talk about the atrocities, they, they'll own somebody like a Harriet Tubman or a Martin Luther King and, and make it sound like these guys are these you know, examples of American exceptionalism. Not that, that they are fighting this, you know, this tide of racism and, 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 this, and that kind of thing. 
from a native standpoint, if I think about who are the, the native peoples in history that are propped up by the United States, it ends up being those who have done something for the United States, served in the military. Ira Hayes, for instance, or, um, or perhaps Billy Mills or, or, uh, or Jim Thorpe winning gold medals for the United States. And, and, and I'm not condemning any of those people, by the way, but these are the folks that, that get put up. They'll, they'll say, you know, some native person who achieved perhaps some other accomplishment that is, uh, you know, in American history. You know, perhaps it'll be um, this latest round of, of uh, native people who were elected into Congress or, you know, a doctor or an astronaut or some I don't know. But these, these are the kinds of uh, people and events that, that get praised. There is very little that bring, brings any contemporariness to our existence. So the very people who wrote the history, uh, our history, and you know, essentially whitewashed that history, are the ones that will create the, uh, the Native American heroes. And that, to me, is, is pretty problematic. You know, I, I just, and again, I'm, I'm wearing a mask today, so if you're watching the show or if you're hearing the show and it sounds a little bit muffled, I'm wearing a, a mask because I did travel out of the area. As I mentioned in the last show, I, I traveled to my old high school to talk about the mascot issue. And as a result of that, I'm going to at least the next few couple of shows uh, do the show with a mask because I, I do share the studio space with, with uh, Jake, my producer. So, um, But the mascot issue is... is is kind of connected to this whole idea of creating this this special month to at least on paper <laughs> not in practice but on paper to acknowledge our history but again it it casts us as only historical figures or as a as a people of the past not as a as a contemporary people and we're we're fighting things every single day you guys know the shows that we do here we talk about everything from missing and murdered indigenous women to you know, stopping pipelines and, you know, development in our territories, you know, all any number of things. And these are very real things that are happening today. This isn't, you know, trying to uh, prop up these heroes of the past. In fact, there are heroes today. There are people today. There are, there are men and women who are on the front lines defending Native peoples, defending Native lands, defending the environment, Every single day. And those people are not going, you're not going to have some sort of, you know, 60 minutes special, you know, on, uh, on television over these guys. And this is the, the whole problem with creating a, a Black History Month or a Native American Heritage Month is it, it kind of ignores our presence, you know, our present circumstances. You know, forget about the future. It ignores the struggles that we are still mired in, you know, again, even if they do tackle things like social justice during, they don't do it during our special month. <laughs> and, and if they do it on uh, in February, the shortest month of the year, by the way, that gets attributed to black history month, they're going to talk about historical figures in terms of civil rights, not the people. They, they aren't going to do a whole black lives matter special. Of course they could prove me wrong. And you know, if they do, I'm, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But we really need to take, we should take some initiative. Not, not just because they called it our special month. And, and again, I've got some problems with the name. But even 
you know, even the uh, November 11th, the uh, what, what we are calling, our people are calling Treaty Day. Yeah, look, I was invited, you know, by by a couple of friends to uh, to go out to Canadagua to for Treaty Day, and I just can't get, bring myself to do it. I can't go out to Canadagua to walk arm in arm with a bunch of politicians and pretend we're celebrating, you know, what, what some people want to call this historic treaty, the seminal treaty of uh, of the Haudenosaunee. And why? Because because it's been broken over and over and over again. <clears throat> the most significant language of the Canandaigua Treaty is the clear acknowledgement, and I say clear because it's mentioned three times, that the United States recognizes that our land is ours. In spite of doctrine of Christian discovery and, and all of that, you know, church dogma that got codified into law, you know, by the U.S. Supreme Court, in in 1794, they, they acknowledged that our land is ours and that the United States will never claim the same, nor would they, they disturb us in, in our free use and enjoyment of our lands or our friends and neighbors that we, that we invite in to share in, that, in, in, in our lands. But is that true? I have, I have to get in a 45-minute long discussion to even talk to a congressman you know, or whomever to explain, no, I'm not in your, I'm not your constituent. Our territory is not a part. Oh, well, no, it's on our map. No, it doesn't matter if it's on your map. It's not, a, I'm, we are not a part of your congressional district. Now, granted, there isn't enough definitive talk that comes from, you know, so-called native leaders on these subjects, but, but you can't even like get anybody to understand a, a perspective on the distinction of this land. Trust me, the United States will not acknowledge today that Seneca Territory or Mohawk Territory or any other uh, territories of the Six Nations are not part of the United States. It doesn't matter that, that, the, that the language, that the, the treaties that they wrote clearly say it, and there's never been anything historically that changes that, but they, they will not acknowledge that today. And, and, and of course, <clears throat> they also won't acknowledge that we have the right to maintain a distinct and separate citizenship from theirs. And that's, and, you know, and part of it, they, they got, they're walking this line here because, you know, even with the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, they can't deny us our right to participate as a, an American citizen. But taking the disposition that they can't deny us that right is not the same thing as imposing it. <clears throat> and while Native people clearly can live as American citizens, and at least, you know, as per the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924, to, for Native people to say, well, they made us citizens. Well, no, they didn't. I mean, they may have said they did, but that's still our choice. So I, I realize that, that it's, a, it's a slippery slope. It's, a, it, you know, it's, it's an awkward um, set of rules. It's almost like, the United States has to let us be theirs if we want to be, um, but they can't make us. And that's, and, and, and that, but they can't make us is my addendum to that, to that policy. And unfortunately, not enough of our people will acknowledge that. And, and look, I guess it's a, it's a nice luxury. There, there are people all over the world that, that want to be a part of the United States. And, I'm, and there are plenty of Native people that want to be a part of the United States. The reality is, we are here and it's all around us. So whether we consider ourselves U.S. citizens or not, we enjoy, if you want to call it that, the benefits of 
anything that a citizen could have. <laughs> but to me, it's an added thing to say, yes, but we have our distinction. Look, I, I don't I don't care about voting. Obviously, I've talked about that. And I don't think that's, you know, that is some, you know, great right that uh, that was bestowed upon us. It, it, it isn't. But I, I guess having certain choices about, you know, how we should be able to travel, you know, from territory to territory, although that does get interfered with when we talk about trying to pass a, uh, a foreign border like the, the Canadian border. That's a challenge for us. Because they want us to declare that we're a citizen to do that, which is problematic. Or if we want to travel to another country, say, you know, abroad or something like that. There is a, a real difficulty in addressing these issues. And these are the kinds of things that I wish we could talk about on our special month. Not just having somebody do some sort of Disney version of, you know, Tecumseh or Geronimo or, or Pocahontas or, or anybody else. Or... Worse yet, the happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians, uh, you know, scenario that they try to, they're still doing this to kids, by the way. They are still doing this and, uh, to, to children. They're still teaching them, you know, this, this myth of the, of the first Thanksgiving. Let me be clear. The first proclaimed day of Thanksgiving that came, uh, that, that the colonists celebrated came after the massacre of the Wampanoag. That's when their, well, I don't know who it was, but their, their leader or whatever stood up and proclaimed a, a day of Thanksgiving for having you know, dealt such a, a, a serious blow to the Wampanoag. Now, keep in mind, the Wampanoag were, were, were their allies. They, they helped them. <laughs> they helped them survive in, in, the, in the new ter territories you know, for a while. And then as they got, as the white people got greedier and greedier, the tensions grew and tensions grew. And ultimately, uh, um, the, the son of Massasoit, uh, uh, Metacom, who they would later call King Philip, uh, would become very hostile towards them. And, and so this is what would be the basis of this, of this major conflict. And it was brutal. And in fact, it would end with, uh, um, uh, Metacom or, um, uh, King Philip being beheaded, having his head stuck on a on a spear and um, set up as a, on a post he'd, uh, in the outskirts of one other village to to send a signal to native people. <laughs> but we won't talk about terrorism, right? No, we, we won't talk about the use of terrorism against native people. But that's uh, so. That is how the the white folks proclaimed their first Thanksgiving. Not the happy little pilgrims, happy little Indians thing. I know they they made up a couple of other stories about such such an event, and most of it is totally unsubstantiated by by any kind of real facts. And that's why the Wampanoag and so many others, uh, New England or Native people who are in what is now called New England, refer to it as a uh, a national day of mourning. So this is the, the this is the month that we share. We share this month where where much of this will be about trying to sensationalize or embellish certain native figures, if it's done at all, uh, or, you know, keep retelling the same myth about, uh, you know, about the first Thanksgiving. And again, it is, it will be much more important to, to, not, to, to put our current circumstance into some historical perspective. I mean, why do we have such poverty in our territories? 
How did we get there? Well, you know, there's a, there's a straight line you can follow to figure that one out. But rather than just trying to, you know, embellish and uh, romanticize, again, just like with the, um, the mascot issue, we'll erase history and then redraft it. We won't. White people will. The ones who control the media. And again, I, I'm saying this all fully acknowledging that there is not a big effort put to, to tell any, any, give any special attention to, to Native people during our special month. So this is why I, I, I get frustrated. Of course, this is, we're, we're halfway into, into the month. Um, I haven't really talked about it so far this month. It's been, it's been other things to talk about. But it, it, is, it is really, um, I don't know, it's, it's deceiving, and again, this is all part of what we, we condemn about revisionist history, because when this is the constant, you know, mantra, you know, uh, that it goes back to like James Lowen's book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. You spend more time talking about how great America is and how much they persevered, even when they made mistakes. They fixed slavery by abolishing it. The fact that you, you went through, you know, all the entire Jim Crow era and that racism is still so rampant and so embedded in the American systems, you know, that there's anything but, but uh, social justice or, or racial equity in this country. You, you keep telling the story, like, like everything that, you know, everything bad that ever happened has a happy ending and it doesn't. And I'm sorry, this, when, as I look at the United States, and, you know, people can decide for themselves, but I see a country that is in terrible shape. Now, look, are there still, you know, people from third world countries trying like hell to get, get to the United States? Sure there are. <laughs> Just like all you white people who were trying so hard to get here. <laughs> but look at your political system. And, you know, look, I got into, I, I saw a couple of posts that talked about uh, trying to debunk the idea that half the country still supports Trump. And they, you know, and they try to do some numbers about uh, how many people actually voted for Trump, how many people actually voted for Biden, how many people didn't vote, and that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Trump got 9 million more votes this election than he did last election. Now, those are votes. That's not necessarily the, the total amount of people who support him. You know, otherwise, where did that other 9 million people come from? <clears throat> if, if 64 million voted for him in 2016 and 73 million voted for him this time, did he, did he gain supporters or did some of those supporters who didn't come out for a vote for him just turn around and vote for him? I mean, you get into a debate, right? And we don't really know because not only do, do most Americans not vote, um, Many, and they don't vote for a variety of reasons, you know, not the least of which is red states are red, blue states are blue. You, you know, look, if you live, live in New York, you don't really need to vote. You know that the state's going to go, you know, towards the blue side. If you live in Oklahoma, you don't need to vote because that state's going to go to the red side. Now, what you do with down ballot races and that kind of stuff is a whole other issue. But I'm just, I'm just saying on this, on this national, and on this whole idea of determining whether a state is red or blue and whether it's, your vote is worthwhile or not. If you live in a swing state, your vote's more important if you, if you vote. But then you've got to decide whether you, you are voting for Trump or for Biden or just against Biden or against Trump. And I would dare say that if you were to take a real measurement on the support that Trump has versus the support that Biden has, 
Trump has a lot more support than Biden does because many of those people who voted for Biden simply voted for him because they didn't want Trump, which is a different story. So I, I, you know, I say all this because for one thing, our special months starts with their election, right? I say all this because if we don't have a strong sense for what is the environment around us, I mean, look, I, I looked at a map of New York state and it is all red, except for the blue spot at Buffalo, the blue spot at, at Rochester, the blue spot at Syracuse, the blue spot at Albany, and the blue spot down in New York. And the, and the blue spot in New York doesn't even spread all the way through Long Island. So you realize that for, for almost all Native territories, we're surrounded by people who are very much on the right wing, right wing of this political spectrum. This is the environment that we live in. So... Do, look, do they want to hear about Native American Heritage Month? Hell no. <laughs> and because many of the people who are on the right still view us the same way that we were actually viewed in history as, you know, we, we were a pest. We were an infestation that had to be gotten rid of. That's what L. Frank Baum said. He said, annihilate us, exterminate us. And that is the view. I've talked about it before on the show. Uh, look, while there are, most Americans can acknowledge that there are certain things that were, um, that were wrong, that they did wrong in their history. Slavery was a bad thing. Um, the abuse of women or child labor and some of these other things. Yeah, they, they can all say, yeah, those were terrible things. But you know what? The vast majority of Americans still view the, the genocide against Native people as something that was not just necessary, but natural. That it was, it, I mean, if you, how history is told, there's this huge gap between discovery and then what they started calling manifest destiny because they didn't really start that conversation until they already wiped out huge segments of our population. So this is, the, this is why when, when they give us our special month, and it's really, look, it's a piece of paper. I mean, it's, it's a piece of paper. You know, the, the president, even this moron in the White House signs this proclamation every, every year. He usually does it late or doesn't, or, or it certainly doesn't get the fanfare that he gets when he's you know, signing his executive orders but, um, or his other executive orders. But, uh, but no, it, it is, it's relatively meaningless. Because it's, it is so overshadowed by things like Thanksgiving and, you know, and of course, all the capitalism that goes with, you know, how many days before Christmas. I'm not even talking about it being overshadowed by, by COVID-19, which is, which is a whole other issue. But between the, the hysteria associated with elections and disputed elections and, and, and now, you know, heading into the, the, the final leg to, to decide whether they can you know, generate enough sales to, you know, to, well, well, they call the Friday after Thanksgiving, they call that Black Friday because that's the day that they, the retailers hope to finally make enough sales to come out of the red and into the black on their, on their, you know, their, their uh, audit sheets. So that's why it's called Black Friday. Um, it has nothing to do with black people. <laughs> now, they also say, that, designate that day, the day after Thanksgiving, as our, National Native American Heritage Day, because you can't have a month without having one special day. So we share that day with people's trampling each other on the way to Walmart, although that's probably not going to happen this time. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, this is, you know, this is the absurdity of having this special month. I will say, though, 
uh, in years previous, I usually get an invitation or two to speak uh, to speak at a school. Not many more than that. Usually it's only one. <laughs> and that's usually the, the, the Native American uh, magnet school in, in Buffalo. But uh, I, I wasn't expecting that call this year because most of these schools are shut down. And they're not doing assemblies. They're not doing any of that stuff. But I was usually good for that. And I, you know, and I spoke to a couple other places sometimes during this special month. And, you know, you, you end up t- touching on issues that they've, that nobody ever talks about. And while I try to correct some of the historical myths, I also tried, always try to bring it to, to where we are today. And because part of, look, even as we talk about history and, and heritage, the problem is we're framing it, or, or somebody's framing it, if we're not, we're not but the, the, the powers that be, the, the, the history teachers, the, the media, they're always framing that history based on, where the writers of these, you know, of these comments sit today. And they, they don't contemporize what native people were going through, not just in the 1700s and, but the 1800s, the, you know, the 1900s all the way through, because again, it is really, um, I mean, it, it, we have been, uh, there's context to all of our history. And that historical context is not just framed in the period before discovery. We have been um, dealing with, with issues, the same issues that many Americans were, but sometimes in a different way. Our experience with the Great Depression, for instance, was different than what white people went through. Our experience with the Civil Rights Movement was different than what black people went through. And, and, and I'm not saying that it was better, but it, it was different. But see, nobody ever gets into that conversation. I mean, you, you'll oftentimes see signs about, you know, where, the, where they have a drinking fountain that, for, for whites only. But you don't often see the sign that, that, gets, that was put up that said no Indians or dogs allowed into, the, into this establishment. And that was a reality. And, you know, it wasn't a reality from 100 years ago. This is in my lifetime. In my lifetime... There have been places in both the U.S. and Canada that still would forbid a Native person from patronizing their, um, uh, their establishment. And whether it was written or not, it, w- it was a fact. So that's the reality. So we don't need to talk about, just talk about Hiawantha or, or Tecumseh you know, or Joseph Brandt or, you know, or, or anybody else. There, there are, we can talk about today and we can talk about some of the legacy of what historical figures went through and how it impacts us today but if we only talk about that about it that way it's problematic and that's that's what i see about again even with black history month i see white people just praising martin luther king for what for all of his greatness but they shot him they murdered him for crying out loud and he was not praised during his lifetime by most white people, he was hated and he knew that his life was in jeopardy all the time. So when you tell the story about how wonderful Martin Luther King is, well, then we should also tell the story about how, how he had to live day to day under constant, uh, you know, surveillance by the FBI under a con- a constant threat of death. And it wasn't just an idle threat, obviously, because they assassinated him. Same with Malcolm X. So 
it's a little difficult for me to get excited about having a uh, having some white guy in the in the in the White House declare a special month for us. It's just difficult. All right, hey, we're at the bottom of the hour. I'll take a break and we'll uh, co- we'll come right back with a little bit more. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, this is John Kane. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I'm back. <laughs> so I guess my question ends up being is, you know, and, and I'm going to look for some of the comments on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and that kind of stuff. I'm wondering, what what would be a good way to celebrate a, a month in, in uh, that is dedicated to our benefit? I, I don't know. Should we, should we do more? Should we produce? I mean, obviously, I'm I'm doing two or three programs a, a week, so uh, for me to do a special program, I guess I could. But you know, should there be a bigger effort? And I, and I think there should be. And but I'll tell you the other thing is, we need to acknowledge that for those of us who are involved in the activist community, we we're losing people. And, and when I say losing people, I'm not talking about losing support. There are there are people who have been very involved in the activist community that never get the acknowledgement that they that they should. And you know, this past week, we lost two important uh, people, as far as I'm concerned. We lost um, uh, a, a Deborah Whiteplume, who is is somebody who who was you know very very important um, uh, in as far as a, a native activist is concerned. And, and she's been, you know, she was very, she did a a lot of, you know, speaking. She, you know, she, I did a a left forum. In fact, when I met Janine Yazzie, who's been a guest on the show the first time, it's, it was at the left forum where Janine and Deborah White, White Plume were, um, were a part of, um, a, uh, uh, a panel as well. And, and so we lost her this week and I think it's, it, it is, it is a big loss. And the uh, the other person that we lost was uh, Emily Jeffries, and Emily was somebody who was a friend of mine. She was actually a guest on my show, I think, on my my New York show. Um, and Emily was very active. The first time that I met Emily in person was I had gone to New Jersey to to watch a play that was done on the mascot is- issue, and it was called Indian Head or something like something along those lines. And so my wife and I we we traveled from New York. And uh, to go see this this play in, in um, I think it was at the Luna Stage in New Jersey, and that was the first chance that I that I actually got a chance to meet Emily. And I know that she's struggled, and she you know she was man she was, she had struggled with, with cancer, and uh, so we lost her as well. And, you know, and, and of course we all know people in each one of our communities who who may not be the nationally recognized. Um, activist or spokesperson but people who are active in each one of our communities and 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 perhaps that's one of the things that we should do during this month is is to is to acknowledge not just the people that we lost but the people that we have i guess and and there should be a bigger emphasis on 
on supporting those voices that are out there. And, and I'm not saying this, you know, for myself personally, I, I, I've got, I have plenty of uh, acknowledgement, especially <laughs> this week after doing the, the, the bit going out to my old high school. I, I very much appreciate the support that I've gotten from the viewers of my show. And uh, even after I posted some of my, uh, my statements to the, to Cambridge Central School. Um, but there are, there are unsung heroes you know, that are very busy in places like Wet'suwet'en and, um, and Landback Lane and Mi'kmaq Territory. Uh, and then in places that most people wouldn't recognize, places that don't even have quote-unquote federal recognition. There are people who are fighting on the ground every day for our existence, not just for federal recognition, and they're not just fighting for, for land acquisition. They're fighting for our distinction. This has to be something that we acknowledge. And, and we should all support. I mean, one of the big problems that I have, and on the last show I talked about pretendians and apples. And we, we, we live at a time, and, and I talk so much about identity, that, it, that it's such a struggle. And we look for something to identify with. In, but we always look in the dominant culture. That's why the mascot issue is what it is. But we don't look at, at the people who are at, on the ground level doing the work. And those are the people that we need to support and identify with. There is no reason that every Native person can't demonstrate some part of their life that they could have said, yes, I was active. I was an activist, even if it was only for that day. So whether it's doing a march or whether it's, you know, manning a blockade, whatever it is, you know, or, or if it's just lending support to somebody who is doing that, you know, we're, we're constantly, you know, experiencing, you know, uh, some sort of financial stress because of, you know, legal funds that need to be accumulated. Look, you can make donations. I mean, there are a lot of people who are living very, very comfortable lives. While other people are, are working harder in hell to, uh, to maintain some level of, of native distinction. We can all do more to su support each other. And, and look, and that also goes with, with supporting the artists and the performers and the spokespersons. Not just, you know, people doing shows and stuff like that, like, like I'm talking about. But there, there are people every day who, are, are, who are continue to promote our culture. And not just our culture going backwards, because look, as we move along, as we, we, we travel down that, uh, that road, uh, our path, we bring the past forward. And it's not always a, a look back. It's a look, it's a look forward with, with the past that we're carrying with us. So our culture even evolves a little bit, you know, so we, we we factor in look whether we're doing a hand drum song you know or you know a um, um, you know oftentimes we use not just English but we'll, we'll use phrases or um, or experiences that are that are contemporary. So I mean this is you know and, and look I've even heard people you know in, within in the Longhouse do um, do songs with a water drum and that kind of stuff that bring in not just contemporary sounds. But maybe some sort of co contemporary, um, you know, uh, I don't know, thought. So, because we are contemporary, we're still here. It isn't always just about looking back. It's about looking forward. 
So I think we need to, we all need to, to put an effort into not just promoting who we were, but who we are and, and where we're going and, and bringing that culture forward. So yes, by all means, let's do, let's, let's film, um, not just documentaries, but let's do short films. Let's do, um, we live in a day and age now with, with a digital camera, you, you know, you can, you can make a, a short film for, for, for very little money. Uh, you know, and you could, and, as, and the the more resources you have, the more polish you can put to this kind of production. But there are a lot of stories, not just old stories, but contemporary stories, stories that we're dealing with every single day. We have experiences every day, whether it's uh, it, it's the life of a native person in an urban environment, or whether it's the life of a person on uh, in a native territory out west. You know, here's the other thing: <laughs> some of the most the most stark beauty you will ever see. Our own people can take for granted because you, you see it in our territories. And, and I've traveled. I've, I've been to native territories in the southwest and the northwest and the plains and uh, east of here even. I mean, even, even traveling out to, to my old, old high school. And keep in mind, these, this is all native lands at, at one point. But just to, just to see the remarkable beauty. Look, where we live right here in the, in the lands of the uh, Onundawaga. It, it's it's incredibly beautiful. So we have the opportunity to, to to make sure that as we're telling our story, we tell our story as it relates to us being connected to the place that we live. Because <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> when you when you capture whether it's through audio or video or or whatever photography, theater, however you're going to capture that beauty. So. I think it's really important if we're going to call a month ours, and, and, and I wouldn't even confine it to that, but if we want to do something more, if we want to make a spectacle out of a, a, a given month, and I know a whole lot of people, <laughs> Regan was one of the folks who, who said she can't stand November. <laughs> she just can't wait to get through this month because, because there is so much crap associated with it. And if you're native, a uh, native a person you grew up with all the crap associated with this whole notion of Thanksgiving. Now keep in mind, we celebrate Thanksgivings. We do. In fact, there's 13 of them, four major Thanksgivings that we, that, that, that our people celebrate. And, but they aren't, they aren't holidays and they aren't ritualistic religious ceremonies. I know people call them ceremonies, but they're festivals. And you know what? We skip them sometimes. You know why we skip them? Because we, got th- we have things to do. So, and because they aren't necessarily, you know, a, a part of some ritualistic uh, ceremonial religious act, they become a luxury. It's like, it's, you know, they become a luxury on how you celebrate. So in the leaner times, your celebration isn't going to be quite as celebratory. Your festivals aren't going to be quite as festive. But when things are great, trust me, we weren't giving a whole lot of thanks as, as our populations were being wiped out by massacres and pestilence. We weren't, being, we weren't celebrating a whole lot then. And it isn't because, I mean, and again, when we talk about these Thanksgivings, these Thanksgivings are not religious. We aren't thanking God or Creator. We're acknowledging each other. That's what our Thanksgivings are. We're acknowledging what the earth has helped us 
you know, how the earth has helped us provide for ourselves. We acknowledge the elements. So it isn't the same as some sort of religious sacrament. So when, when I hear people say something along the lines of, uh, you know, of a, uh, of a Thanksgiving, or somebody says, oh, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Yes, we celebrate Thanksgivings. Not yours. We don't celebrate the happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians thing. No, we don't do that. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> this is what gets, what gets lost. And on this given month, I mean, <laughs> we should make some of this stuff painfully clear. We should go out of our way to explain ourselves. And, and, and frankly, it has to start with us, with, with us teaching our own children. You know, we, especially our kids who are experiencing this stuff in schools, and they're, and they're going to be hit with this happy little pilgrims, happy little Indians thing. Look, I'm not saying that we got to talk about beheadings and heads on a post at the outskirts of town or anything. We, we don't have to be that graphic. But, I mean, it's funny because a, a teacher asked my grandson the other day if he celebrated Thanksgiving. And when he said, yeah, we have Thanksgiving dinner. She says, oh, I, I thought since you're native, you wouldn't celebrate. He says, well, we just eat. <laughs> you know, so, but the idea, on, on one hand, the, the fact that, that the teacher could acknowledge that, that we may do things different than them was a good thing. But the idea of asking a 10-year-old and, and putting a 10-year-old on the spot like that is, is never a good thing. I mean, if she wanted to ask that question, she could have asked, asked uh, you know, asked my son. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's... But this is, see, this is all of that insensitivity, right? And, and part of it is, is born out of just ignorance. It, it, no, a lot of this isn't about being rude. It's about ignorance. And that ignorance is tied to white privilege. That ignorance is tied to systemic racism in the educational system. I, I, I look, I know everybody gets bent when you, you know, you, you said the race word again. But, but it's true. If you, I mean, again, I, I oftentimes will cite James Lowen's Lies My Teacher Told Me because he does such a great job with this, with debunking or exposing, I should say, how many of these, these atrocities the United States had committed, how they get spun to have a happy ending, regardless of whether there ever really was a happy ending. I mean, some things you can't. You can't just d dispel by by you know by embellishing the the, the circumstance. It's more complicated that, than that. There's there are some things that you that you just can't apologize for. I mean, I think about my my friends in Hawaii. I mean, how crazy is it that in 1993, through a joint resolution of Congress and signed as a resolution by by. President Bill Clinton, they acknowledge, they actually do what they call the apology resolution. And they apologize for the role the United States played in, in, in the coup against the Hawaiian kingdom. They apologize. Well, what the freak is an apology? That doesn't solve anything. Canada, they apologize for the residential schools. Murray Porter's, his song is, is, is Sorry Enough. Because these apologies are shallow. It's like, it's like the document that, <laughs> that Trump signed proclaiming uh, the, the month, National Native American Heritage Month. These paper, this is just paper. And, and at some point, there does have to be a reckoning. 
I know people get scared when you start talking about things like reparations or whatever else. For me, I always say that I would rather see us address preparation for the future rather than, uh, uh, you know, uh, reparations for the past. I think we need to, to do everything we possibly can to ensure that our kids, our children, our grandchildren have not just hope, but prospects for the future. And not just because they can, as Barack Obama threw out there, oh, we want to ensure that Native people have, a, have an opportunity for their slice of the American dream. You know, that, that, I mean, no, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not asking for a piece of the pie. We're, we're, we're trying, we are really trying to assert our distinction. And when they do these things like these, you know, these, you know, these special events, Treaty Day or National Native American Heritage Day, when they do these things, they don't acknowledge the truth. They try to you know, whitewash it. And that's why I'm, I'm troubled by this stuff. And that's why I, I am sarcastic every year about this, about, about the month of November. I hope one day... I get invited to go to Canandaigua for November 11th to protest, to, to demonstrate, and to, to call out the folks who, have, who are still benefiting from the breaking of that treaty. I'm not interested in going out there to celebrate and to, and, and to break bread and, and, and you know have some super spreader event in Canandaigua. No, I'm not interested in that. And, and I'm not condemning the people who do participate in it. But for me, I would rather take the, that time and take that event, that date, that historical date, and, and put it into context. I mean, it is significant that it, on, in November of 1794, George Washington, the United States, acknowledged that our land was ours. I mean, they didn't give it to us, but they, they were willing to put pen to paper and say, look, we acknowledge that your land is yours and we will never claim the same. Because less than a decade later, you would have Justice John Marshall codify into law because of some Cherokee cases uh, that, that the doctrine of Christian discovery was the, was the foundation for the United States to claim title to native lands. And that we simply didn't have the right to own lands. That's literally what he wrote in, uh, in, uh, in Johnson v. McIntosh a complete contradiction to what the president of the United States and his delegates put to paper in Canadagua. If you don't talk about that at, at Canadagua on November 11th each year, then what the hell are you talking about? So these are the kinds of things. And there does have to be the historical record corrected. I mean, I, I, the other reason I won't go to Canadagua is because half the time, there's going to be somebody there. I guarantee it every year. There's somebody carrying the, the George Washington belt, which is, a, which is a belt that George Washington paid some Oneida wampum belt maker to, to make. It was a commissioned piece, uh, you know, piece of art. And of course, it's bigger than what we would normally do. I mean, of course, it had to be, right? It, it's, it's like almost six feet long. And what's depicted on it is the imagery of native people being subordinate to the, to the 13 colonies. It's got 13 male figures, or 13 figures in it, representing the 13 colonies, and then two little guys next to a longhouse. 
And that's us. Then there's something over our head, like, like there's a yoke over our heads. I'm not going to go to Canandaigua when somebody lifts up and says, oh, this is the, the wampum belt associated with the Canandaigua Treaty. No, it's not. It is, it is a fraud. George Washington actually had that belt uh, commissioned before the Canandaigua Treaty. He was hoping that if he used our own system, again, if he jumped onto our, into our canoe, paid one of our people to produce a wampum belt, that he could convince us to, to accept this subjugation. There's no language, other than some of the, some of the lands that were ceded in the Canandaigua Treaty, there is no language in the treaty that says that we are beneath the United States and that we, have, that we accepted some sort of protectorate status under the, uh, you know, under the United States. Absolutely not. But that's what that, can, that, that's what that George Washington belt represents. So we have to correct the historical record. And I've seen, look, I saw Orrin Lyons and Sid Hill in Washington, D.C., pawing over this, this treaty. And suggesting that, that, that this is, you know, that this, this, that, that wampum belt laid out a relationship for the, with the United States. Well, for those two guys to acknowledge that is a sad day. For the rest of us to acknowledge it is even worse. Because I'll still maintain today, during our special month or any month before or after, that there is no historical record of our uh, consent to subjugation, including the George Washington belt, which we did not ever subscribe to. It was not something that we agreed to. This was commissioned specifically. And I, you know, look, and I'm not trying to condemn the United Nation, but it was, it was somebody who was a, a very skilled wampum maker, wampum belt maker, who, who accept payment to make that for George Washington. And his people ran around with it for a couple of years trying to get us, us to accept the imagery there. Then it comes, and now, in, today, it gets brandished as if, as if it's something we agreed to, which it wasn't. So, this is where I think if we want to use a month to correct the record, then we should correct the historical record. And we should do more than just correct the historical record. We should, we should correct our present uh, existence. And we should do what we can to promote the future that we see for ourselves. There's oftentimes the question that gets asked, where, would you, where do you see Native people in the future? If you got what you wanted, what, do, what, would, you, what would that life be like? And, and of course, some people will, you know, <laughs> some people think really big. <laughs> for me, I just want to live a life of distinction, you know, and, and not to be in a constant state of conflict with the United States or Canada or developers or, you know, um, the extractive industries or Hollywood or, you know, Netflix, whoever. No, I don't want to be in a constant battle with people. But, but it's crazy because even when somebody suggests that they want to tell our story, they, they oftentimes say it having this preconceived notion of what this story is they want to tell. And they want us to back them up on it. So this is why we have to tell our own stories. You know, on the slim chance that there's going to be somebody out there in the, in, in the entertainment industry 
or in the music industry or, or whatever, in the, in the theater you know, uh, industry that wants to tell our story, we have to be an integral, if not a, a preeminent force in what that story is. We can't just be the consultant that tries to correct them when they make mistakes. Because at some point they're going to say, yeah, but we need to take the creative license here. And that's usually what happens. And what you end up is, is, is Disney's Pocahontas. Because trust me, Disney hired some native people. They did. I'm sure they did. And just like they did with Last of the Mohicans and Dances with Wolves and, and all these, you know, all of these other big blockbuster stories. But it's not our story. That's the story that we need to tell. And if there's, if there's a month in the year that we should have a, at least some access to platforms to tell our story, it should be this month. It should be the month, regardless of whether the president declares it so or not. We should take ownership of it. Not because the president said so, but because we said so. And, and one of the, the biggest stories we have to confront is the, uh, is the Thanksgiving story. And if it ruins somebody's appetite, yeah, so be it. Trust me, we had our appetite ruined a long time ago. So that's... <laughs> This is what I wanted to talk about on in the middle of this Native American or National Native American Heritage Month, our special month. And to acknowledge the day, Treaty Day, November 11th. I think we need to do a better job. So this is my call out to Native people. To Maybe next year we'll be more ready. I don't know. But this is my call out not just to Native people, but to the non-Native people who who. who catch the show and listen to uh, and listen to some of what I've got to say you need to expect more and don't let and, and don't let Disney or Spielberg or anybody else tell the story for us I'm John Kane this is Let's Talk Native I want to thank you for listening Yahweh